to say welcome again to all of our guests. So happy that you're here. And I, it's never lost on me if you're a guest how weird this must all be if you've never like been, if you haven't been in church in a long time, like we're standing and we're singing songs in unison and then we sit and then we stand back up with this whole thing. And so, uh, but don't worry if you're a guest, stranger things are coming because today we are talking about Satan and demonic forces. Okay, uh, which, you know, one of our practices here, we walk through books of the Bible. We're finishing Ephesians today. We've been in it for a few months. I've learned so much. Time in the Word is always fruitful, right? So, uh, but this is one of those things I probably wouldn't choose to talk about, but we let the Bible dictate our sermons here. So, ready or not, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Here we go. Finally, his culminating argument here in, in Ephesians. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We, we don't just wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore take up, here active that is, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having, on put, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, verse 16. In some circumstances, no. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the people in your church, all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This wrestling that Paul talks about in verse 12, it's like, so the, the original word there is like a wrestling with your hands, like you're, if you're wrestling with your bare hands. So he's not talking about fighting with a sword or shooting an arrow from far off, but like hand-to-hand -hand combat is the context that we're looking at this morning. So Paul's culminating argument within his masterful letter to the church at Ephesus, is that we are at war this morning. And he's not being melodramatic, okay? He's, he isn't overstating his point, hyperbolic point, so that he can just wrestle your attention away. That's not what he's doing. He's warning us as God's people that living for Jesus will bring adversaries, it will bring hate our way that doesn't even often make sense. Like, you know how nowadays Christians are often painted as hateful people? Even though we're not. Like this, Jordan just prayed for people that persecute our brothers and sisters. That's who we are. So no matter, you know, like we're, we're painted as anti this or anti that, even though we're loving people, we actually started the idea that everybody is equal and worthy of love. That was, that's here, okay? And so, but no matter how many times we say, you know, just because we wouldn't do what you're doing doesn't mean we hate you. It doesn't matter. And that's because it's a scheme of the devil across the world to shape the world's thinking against any movement of God and so that's, and it's working quite well, as we can see, okay? So, and even in the beginning of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, we saw Paul make the case that culture is flowing downhill, and it often feels like we're, that we're kind of trying to swim upstream, like a salmon or something. Okay, well, that's, that's how it's supposed to feel in the Christian life. 
If it feels like you're flowing downhill with everybody else, it's actually not how it's supposed to feel, okay? Uh, So that's not how it's supposed to go. But we see there in verse 10, that all comes from that we need to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You know, when the world preaches to you, their sermons stop at be strong. Be strong, be good enough, make enough, do enough, and maybe one day you'll feel good about yourself. But then the Lord adds three. So when they preach, the whole sermon is be strong, figure it out. But the Lord adds three little words that make all the difference in our lives. Be strong in the Lord, okay? As a people, our strength is found in our dependence. And in fact, our strength is found by embracing our weakness. Anybody can fake strength. We get to boast in our weaknesses, I've mentioned before that, you know, I quoted uh, former wrestler, Governor Jesse Ventura. He says that people that follow Jesus and people that have faith, it's like a crutch. But it's way more dramatic than that. Yes, it is that, but we couldn't get by on one crutch, okay? It's more like a wheelchair that Jesus takes us all throughout our life. You know that poem, Footprints in the Sand? Oh, my goodness, y'all love it. It talks about how somebody, you know, they're walking with Jesus. There's two sets of footprints, and then all of a sudden, there's only one set of footprints because that's when Jesus was carrying me. It's so sweet and it's such bad theology, okay, because he's been carrying you the whole time. There's never been a moment when you were walking on your own, and Jesus is like, way to go, pat on the head. You can do it. No, you can't do it. I can't do it, but we can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So it all flows from that. Not my power, his power. Not my strength, his strength. Not my accomplishments, his finished work. Paul then says, out of that strength, now put on the armor of God. Put on these, so put on, that's very active words, right? So don't misinterpret the scriptures here. He's not saying, here's how you get saved. You put all this on, you get the helmet, you got the belt. Now, I love you. That's, that's not it at all, okay? So, Jesus has finished the work of salvation. Isn't that good news? You, you, really, you really didn't save yourself, and you really can't continue to save yourself. He, Jesus saves you completely. Y'all know that I love talking about the three parts of your salvation. I'm going to put it on the screen, and I'll probably do this again by the end of the year again. But there's three parts of your salvation, big, fancy words that I love talking about. You're justified, sanctified, and glorified. When you're justified, God drops the gavel, bang, you're innocent. Yeah, I know what you've done, but Jesus has covered it all. And now longer, the Bible says, it's not now that, you're, that he just declares you righteous, it's that you're imputed with Jesus' righteousness into you. So when God the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. You're justified before him. And then he, so you're saved. It's done, it's a ball game, you're adopted, you're never gonna be unadopted. And then he begins to, and he continues to save you, to sanctify you, to make you holy as Jesus is holy, okay? He, he makes you more and more like him. So we come in here and we don't sing, you're Jaira, I'm enough. We sing, you're Jaira, you're more than enough. And because he's enough, guess what? You are enough in Jesus. So, and then, so he's making you more and more like himself. And then we get glorified. That's the fun part. We're going to have a good time in heaven. That's when he glorifies us to heaven. The Cowboys win the Super Bowl every year in heaven. Okay. No more suffering for us. Okay. That's going to be the good part. So he says to put on the whole armor of God. Look at verse 12 again. Okay. He says, so that you may, able, you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, which he is working for. We don't just simply wrestle against flesh and blood, what we can see, but we wrestle against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, present darkness, spiritual forces of evil, right? So again, Paul isn't just being dramatic for effect. 
All right. He's explaining how the world actually works. All right. The battle isn't just what we see, but there's this whole realm that we are unaware of oftentimes, and he's telling us to pay attention. So I want us to look at like what are the schemes of the devil? Like there's just a pretty clear playbook that the devil has that he's been running for a few thousand years now. But before we look at the, the playbook that the devil uses, first we kinda gotta talk about how it's kind of silly these days to acknowledge that the devil's real. You know? People on the outside are like, y'all are talking about, y'all talked about what at church today? Y'all think with the pointy, y'all think that's, okay. Uh, to the point to where the, you know, there, there's literally a cartoon coming out right now called Little Demon starring Danny DeVito. It's like a real thing where a family from hell moves to earth and they try to figure out how to w- live in this complicated world. It's like this cartoon. Nothing against DeVito. Uh, little dude's hilarious, okay. But clearly... They don't think that this is a real thing that we're talking about this morning, right? And so, or as Kaiser Soze said, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. He's done a really great job at that, okay? So we read about the rulers and authorities and about the battle against the cosmic powers and spiritual forces, and maybe it feels a little weird to you. That's okay. Maybe it feels even made up to you. Maybe some of us even believe that, like, God is real and near, but somehow the devil and demonic forces are fake and distant, okay? Which, you know, Satan originated in this book. So if you go with that God's real, you know, um, which, by the way, like, some, uh, some other religions have a Satan, and they stole our Satan, okay? It's a historical fact that Satan started in this book. Okay, anyway, that's fine. So Satan originated here, so so if if you believe that God is real, well, the other side obviously is too. The Western world, as we talk about acknowledging the devil, right, the Western world often kind of seems, makes it seem like everything is explainable. Like if there's a high crime rate, sociological reason, if something's going on within that person, within that group of people, there's some sort of explanation that's out there, but oftentimes, okay, what we only consider is happening right in front of us, the, the flesh and blood part, but there's the upside down. Come on, Stranger Things. I, I really, I denied my urge to name the sermon Stranger Things because it's actually really accurate. Look, anyway, but there's this whole other part of realm that is swirling all around us, right? And so uh, what, when Paul says that we wrestle not just against flesh and blood, he's saying that issues like crime and materialism and racism, all these things, the, there's more than just meets the eye. There's spiritual oppression going on. So Satan is real. Demons exist. We're not just battling against flesh and blood and headaches and bills, okay? Spiritual warfare is real. Jesus loves us. Satan hates us. Jesus has a plan for us. Satan has plans to oppose us. And when we are in over, we would be in over our heads if we deny who we're fighting and then try to fight back on our own power. That's why it all flows from, verse 10, be strong in the Lord. And then he mentions in verse 11 to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so... So let's look at the schemes of the devil. Okay, there's some pretty common tactics that the devil uses. Turn to Genesis 3 really fast. Genesis, first book in your uh, Bible, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. I'm going, you can just look on the screen if you want. It says, now the serpent, that's the devil, all right, he was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to Eve, said to the woman, Eve, you I've been thinking, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Yeah, bud, verse 26, previous chapter. Okay, he said exactly that. And the woman said back to the devil, you know, yeah, we, we can eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, uh, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit uh, lest you die, verse 4. But the serpent said to the, the, said to the woman, no, nah, sis, no, no, no. You, you're not going to die, for God knows 
that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan rhetorically asked there, did, did God actually say? And he did. And, and, and then he basically quotes what God had said and twists it all up. So the first element of Satan's playbook is to get you, yes, you, to doubt God's word, okay? Demonic forces want us to doubt God's word. So maybe today Satan would get you to think that the Bible's message is outdated and hateful. Last century, he would try to get a lot of people to think that God didn't really write it, and so his methods changed over time. There, just in Genesis 3, in verse 1, Satan got them to doubt God's word. Then he downplayed God's goodness. In verse 4, he denied God's word altogether. And then in verse 5, Satan promised benefits for their disobedience. This is what he does, okay? Uh, the snake twisted God's word just enough to make Adam and Eve, and don't just put it all on Eve. The text is clear. Adam was right there, okay? Adam and Eve, okay? to believe that their way was better than God's way, okay? Satan was telling Eve, God does not want you to be happy, okay? God is denying you pleasure and power. Eve, he's depriving you of all of these good things in the world, and when those things come to your mind, oh, he's denying me, better things are out there, that's a lie. Don't believe Satan's lies over God's promises. It's never, ever worth it. See, Satan will show you the bait, but he hides the hook, He'll promise you that if you go out and get drunk like you've been really wanting to do, that that's going to deliver this over-the-top happiness, but then you wake up the next day and you got a headache and you're emptier than you were before, okay? He's going to promise you that that person who's been showing you extra attention in your office, that that person can really make you happy, unlike that spouse of yours. But what he doesn't show you is the catastrophic relational damage that's going to come your way if you pursue that pleasure, right? So sin promises Pleasure, but it delivers pain. Sin, sin promises freedom, but it delivers bondage. Sin promises life, but it delivers death. Over and over we see that. In Matthew 4, okay, we see, you know the story well, Jesus being tempted by Satan. It says in Matthew 4, and I'm not, I'm not going to spend as much time here, so read this one later. But it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. Jesus was led by God into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And now Jesus had not eaten anything for 40 days. Okay, so in the understatement of all time, Matthew 4, 2 says that Jesus was hungry. Okay, yeah, I bet he was. So in Matthew 4, again, read it later, he, uh, Satan tempts Jesus three different categories, consumption, security, and status. Guess how he's going to come for you? Okay, it's going to look different for each of us. Okay, what does security look like for you as opposed to me? What, is your, what does consumption look like for you? Okay, and I'm, this is why I'm convinced that Satan created Instagram. Okay, look at the three categories. Okay. So Satan tempted Jesus to satisfy his desires through consumption, security, and status, and you will be tempted similarly, okay? Underneath all of it, though, Satan was trying to make Jesus doubt the Father's provision. He goes, hey, Jesus, why don't you make one of these rocks? We're in the desert, man. Look at all these rocks. Plenty of rocks. God's not going to miss one of these rocks. Make one of them into bread. Now, Jesus could have done that, obviously. He turned water into wine. Grape juice, if you're a Baptist, okay, whatever you want to do. He, turned, he took a small boy's lunch and fed thousands of people, okay? Obviously, he, could, he had the power to turn a stone into bread, but the implication to what the devil was doing was saying, Jesus, the Father doesn't care about you. You've been hungry. Look how hungry you are. He doesn't care about you. Man, just feed yourself. It's fine, okay? So the, the third part of Satan's playbook is he wants to tempt me, to act independently from the Father. That's what he did in both Genesis 3 and Matthew 4. That's his playbook. Looks at, he's, got, he, he's got all kind of different variations on it, but that's the whole thing right there. Now, what would that look like for you? Right? How is or how could Satan tempt you to act independently 
from the Father. So like Kedlin Moore, he's been preparing for the schemes of the Vikings defense all week. Y'all know I got a question I can get. So all week, Kellen Moore, okay, he's been trying to figure out what are the Vikings going to do now? How can I prepare for that scheme? So what does it look like for you to prepare to stand against the schemes of the devil? Look at Ephesians 6.13. It says, therefore, to, to stand against, so because of this cosmic battle that is for your soul that is unseen, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the temptation. Okay, That's, this is the application for the very problem. In these verses, Paul says, stand against Withstand, stand firm, stand therefore. He's saying to put on the armor of God, child of God, because we're at war, okay? So now Paul gets into this great analogy of the armor of God, and Christians love the armor of God. We got, we got children's songs about it. We got, whole, we got all these books about it. Some people get really into it. They're like, was, is the helmet of salvation, is that like, you know, a motorcycle helmet? Is it like a football helmet? Is it like the football helmet in the 30s that was just all leather, no strap? What's it like? We got to know what it looks like. Okay, I don't know. We're not going to get into the weeds all the way there, but he mentions six aspects of the armor of God, five items of protection, and one weapon, okay? Five items of protection, one weapon, and he first mentions for us to fasten the belt of truth. Now, in my experience, the belt makes the whole outfit come together, okay? So your belt is super important. You know, without a belt, your pants are in jeopardy. All right, you could clash where your shoes, so it's, it's not an unimportant detail, okay? And so we put on the belt of truth. This is why we're Bible people at Redemption City. We preach the Bible, we study the Bible in small groups, we sing the Bible, we read the Bible by ourselves. In the morning, we fasten the belt of truth by soaking our minds in God's inerrant word, okay? That's what we do. So Satan's native language is lies. He's going to lie to you, man. He's going to, you know, something doesn't have to be true for it to be powerful. Winston Churchill famously said, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to get his pants on. We all experience that. So Satan, he lies about God. He lies about you, about the Bible, about the church, all these different things. But we put on the belt of truth, okay? Second, he he mentions the putting on the breastplate of righteousness, okay? Satan tempts you to sin, that's it. That, that's what he's trying to do, okay? He's trying to make you do and say and think and not do all these things, unrighteous things, right? He tempts you away from righteousness. And before today, or maybe when you think about demonic forces, you think, oh, they're going to get me with a Ouija board, you know, or like I'm, I'm going to accidentally walk into a seance and I'm going to be trapped, okay? That's, but he, he's probably more likely to isolate you from community and give you unfettered access to the internet. He's more likely to give you that salacious piece of gossip about that girl that you don't like. That's how he's going to equip you to get away from righteousness. So my big brother in the faith, Jared, he always says there's power and purity. It rings in my head all the time. Hey, child of God, there is power and purity, okay? There really is nothing protects you like living in Jesus' way. The breastplate of righteousness, you know, Satan considered Adam and Eve's weakness, and that's where he attacked. And you can be sure that he knows your weakness, and that he's planning a strategic attack through temptation on you. So what are your sin tendencies, right? Like, what is that one or three things that just kind of comes naturally to you? We all have them. We all, come sin- we all have sins that just kind of naturally come out of us. And so then, great, okay, now we'll, okay. So then how can you put on the breastplate of righteousness and guard against that particular thing? Maybe Satan wants to take advantage of a generational sin in your past or a generational sin in your family. And he loves not letting you forget of your past. 
right? Uh, we were watching The Grinch this weekend, which I used to be, like, really against anything Christmas before Thanksgiving. But the older I get, the more Clark Griswold comes out, you know, and so I'm already giving out candy canes today. It's fine. So, and in the Philippines, they start you know, October 1, okay? Shout out to the Filipinos in the room. Come on now. All right, so, so I'm behind in, on their scale. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. Okay, so we were watching The Grinch on Friday night. And even now when we talk about the Grinch, we're like, man, stop being such a Grinch. Man, you're being, you know, and that's how we say it, like you're being, like, against Christmas. But that's not who the Grinch is anymore. We won't let the Grinch graduate from his own past. And Satan wants the same thing for you. By the end of the Grinch, he's wearing the sweater, he's singing the songs. But, but we won't let him forget his past. And Satan wants to do the same exact thing with you. Hey, this is who you are. Do it again. Don't forget. Remember, that's what you used to do, and that's still who you are. Satan does not want to let you forget it, okay? But ultimately, Satan is not after you. I know it feels like he is, but he just uses you and me. He uses the weakness of our flesh as an assault on the rival empire of the Messiah. He's really after Jesus. He goes through us. So if you bear the spirit of the one that the demonic powers rage against, they will attack. And so, you know, it's not an accident when your bank account is low, and right then, that's when your boss asks you to kind of mess with the numbers a little bit. It's, that's not an accident. It's not just happen chance that you're finally back in church, and you're walking with Jesus, and right then, your ex texts you to get back, right? That's, that's not. So Satan will craft temptation specifically to what will keep you from walking with God, okay? Paul says that we're in hand-to-hand combat. You know, if you have a garden, uh, the garden will not flourish if you just leave it alone, right? Nobody ever won Garden of the month on accident, right? Okay, so you can't just leave your sin alone and expect the weeds to go away. We have to fight the good fight. Fight your sin actively. Create new habits. Here we are. We're looking at the beginning of the year. Create some new habits as you make your goals. Drop old habits. You change by changing, by putting on the armor of God. And we are in a fight. And fighting, fighting is tiresome, man. People with the past know. Okay, all right. Fighting makes you tired, but keep going. All right, keep fighting the good fight. The third defensive measure of the armor of God is the gospel of peace, which Paul says to have on ready like a pair of shoes. So the imagery would have been really clear to the Ephesians. So the Roman soldiers of that day, they put spikes on their shoes, which now, I mean, cleats are not, are not very innovative these days, but that was like super, that was a big deal then, super innovative. And so that would give them a lot of push whenever somebody was, I think it's pretty good for them. Whenever push, pushing against them or they had a little extra giddy up, if they had to run, right? And so Paul's telling us that we're not wearing Crocs or flip-flops into this battle, okay? But because of the gospel that Jesus died in our place, was buried, rose again in victory, out of that good news, we stand ready. In the gospel, we stand strong, right? And I love Paul's next line. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which, think about this, you can extinguish all the flaming darts, not just darts of the evil one, flaming darts. And do you understand, do I understand that it's expected that these flaming darts are coming my way, right? It's not a surprise to God when we have tears or trials, right? The flaming darts are coming, but don't be scared, okay? Because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Don't be scared or anxious. Put on the shield of faith. Flaming darts are nothing to the king of kings, right? So faith in God the shield of faith protects you like nothing in the universe. That money can't protect you. That promotion cannot protect you. Sculpting a perfect body cannot protect you. You take my word for it on that, okay? Only faith in Jesus uh, can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and that daily faith builds into a lifetime of faith, okay? Paul then mentions the helmet of salvation. I don't know if y'all were in very many fights back in the day, but one thing about fighting, okay, 
you, you can't, you got to have your head. You, you can lose a finger, even an arm, and stay in the fight. But to win the battle, you got to have your head. Okay, so the helmet of salvation protects our thinking. Romans 12, 2 says that we renew our minds all the time, right? And it's a, something that we do daily. So go to God daily to be reminded of the great object of our faith and worship, which is Jesus the Christ. He is our hope. And as we're renewed in that thought over and over, we have the helmet of salvation. Say to the temptation, say to the doubt, I have been saved from sin's penalty. I'm being saved from sin's power, and I will one day be saved from sin's presence altogether. Not today, devil. Okay, not today. We don't fight for victory. We fight, we fight from victory. I am alive in Christ, redeemed, forgiven, reconciled, raised with Christ, seated with Christ, put on the helmet of hope every single day. Maybe you want to read these verses and do that yourself. Let the gospel protect your thinking. Believe what God says about you, not even what you say about you. We looked at the five items of protection. Now look at our one weapon, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Look at Psalms 1, 1 to 3. It says, blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor spends all their time on Instagram, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his and her, look at that word, delight, is in the law or instruction of the Lord, the Bible. And on God's word, he or she meditates day and night, all the time is what that means. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. So, That's how we put on and protect ourselves from the schemes of the devil, which are swirling all around. We put on the whole armor of God, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God itself.